0: Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker.
1: That's
2: what
3: he's (laughs) singing. They like coming. and we want to
1: go home.
3: I sing that song on the boat day. Six foot, every
2: day. seven foot, eight Three foot, punch. Three or four times punch. a day. What? You want the mic closer to his mouth?
3: Oh, you didn't get the singing.
2: <laughs> I love the singing.
3: No, he didn't get it on the recording. He got my beard scratching.
2: Is it? <laughs> we good? Yeah. All right. Well, listen. You know, I... <laughs> I'm gonna to have to remember my whole intro because I didn't print out my cheat sheet. Oh, that's okay though because I think by now everybody knows that this is the Connected by Water podcast fueled by Papa's PLR Rum. Whoop. Remind you never to be a spectator. Today's special guest, Captain Bouncer Smith.
3: Oh boy, I think he's been in the sauce already. We're no,
2: I'm just a little tired from being up early from from fishing with you all day. Right Carlene's behind the bar Hi Carlene
3: Hi Dennis Carlene you looked so ravishing the other night Did I? Thank you We went to the IGFA while well, you were there I mean,
2: Yep I was there
3: What a great evening and, and then I went the next night I went to the Billfish Foundation And it was another great evening
2: Yep two fantastic organizations oh gosh, That we I'll all support and love
3: No doubt about it Yep And the people that they recognized I mean yep. Really really a great year this year
2: yeah, no, there's no doubt about it. Um it's pretty cool boat show week, all the whole fanfare that surrounds it and I personally like doing all of that stuff than actually going to the show.
3: Oh yeah. I would I, I always seem to manage to miss the Guy Harvey event.
2: I was at it this year. How was it? Um I was at it this year. No, <laughs> Was How was,
3: was, was it again? <laughs> <laughs> he was rec- <laughs> Guy was recognized for scientific. Yeah, no, the, the,
2: the Guy the event was great. Um you know, I I got to hang out and talk with him for a little bit and well you know.
3: he was recognized at the Bullfish Foundation. Yep. He was yep. one of their award recipients. His yep. was for science. Yep, he's done and a lot of Paul's, good work.
2: He's done a lot of good work with that foundation.
3: Paul Spencer was recognized for the uh John Rivovich Award, which was so fitting for a boat builder to get the Rivovich Award.
2: Right Well he told that story That story that he told At the IGFA Because he was He got accepted into the the IGFA um, The Tommy Gifford Gifford Award Award, Lifetime Achievement Award And then he did tell that story How he got so deathly sick Sick not from seasick But sick from just being sick Food poisoning Yeah from food poisoning
3: They repeated it
2: did they repeat that? It too said,
3: good to pass up.
2: So he's there, and he's like, oh, he's thinking he's going to die, and he's like, please don't let me die in a Rybovich.
3: Well, <laughs> well, he built Spencer Yachts, and actually it was a Viking.
2: Oh, a Viking, a Viking, a Viking. But, you got me he, messed up because you said the Rybovich Award. Yeah, that, that's what I was he, thinking that. He at.
3: built Spencer Yachts, and here he is with food poisoning on a Viking, and he's going, God, don't let me die on a Viking. <laughs>
2: that was oh that was the best story of the night
3: no the best story of the night was ray rocher's kids
2: well i should say that was the funniest story of the night oh yeah no yeah. doubt
3: about it it was a you always
2: get me with the kid thing Yeah, you're right
3: well I, you know i personally i mean look at my new book it's know, dedicated to book, your, kids
2: your new book has all it, cool things about kids and fishing in here and you are listen as someone who takes my kid fishing with you right it i feel this is really really a a great great book here that you got in your hands we're going to talk all about it today but before we do what did i say something wrong (laughs) see see where she's going here
3: what did you say
1: i don't know it's only when bouncer's on man (laughs) all
2: right carlene is here she's ready to roll she's she's ready to rock but before we, get I think to t- she
3: feels I step on you a lot. I don't know. I think we all do. Oh boy.
2: Yeah. It's, right. gonna night, it's gonna
3: be a tough night. It's gonna be a tough. got a tough
2: crowd in the house here.
3: These inside jokes will kill me. Are we ready to start? Now?
2: Yeah. So right now we're gonna talk about this week's do-gooder, right? And with a, a fellow representative of Starbright Solutions in my mist. Um, this week's Starbright do-gooder is Kathy and her dog, George. The boxer filled two buckets of mangroves out of their canal and delivered them to Corey's front door. Winner, winner. So, uh, Kathy, James Granger, you win the Starbright bucket of fun which has all the salt off and the citrus cleaner and the degreaser and the Ooh, fuel... Ding, ding.
3: You know, you know yep. while we're talking about do-gooders.
2: And the reggae sponge.
3: People should not hesitate to nominate people for the do-gooder. Right. And I guess they could call you up and...
2: So they can call us up. They can, any, any way they can contact us. Primarily, most people contact, contact us through Instagram, at Dennis Friel Art, at Connected by Water, at Sea Red Wine. Uh, which is C Redwine, uh, which is Corey's Instagram handle, or you can go to at Starbright underscore com, and just say, hey, I have a do-gooder this week. This is who it is, and this is why they're a do-gooder. That's all you got to do. Tell us your short story on it.
3: Because, because it really, it's a good thing to spread it around. to Get more people involved in it.
2: Yep. Yep. What
3: what it, for anybody that doesn't know what a do-gooder is, a do-gooder is somebody that helps the environment. Whether they pick up trash on the beach or if they, like a couple weeks ago, uh, um, it doesn't matter their name now, but two friends of mine, uh, Robin Neighbor and Neil Neighbor, they got it for cleaning up the Everglades canals when they go bass fishing and stuff. Yep. They come back with garbage cans full of stuff and suitcases and all kinds of crazy stuff.
2: Yeah, it's important. It's important to do that. And it's important for those... Those so that do that to be recognized as well. No right?
3: doubt it. I mean, it's more important that they do it, but it's everybody enjoys being recognized by that.
2: Yeah, and I think it's pretty cool that I mean, they're all their products are environmentally friendly. Oh yeah, you know, and about- you know, and they care about the environment, and um, they care about. The fisheries and saving the national the natural resources and... That's
3: Star you're talking about. Yeah. Great company. Yeah,
2: absolutely. And really you know company. anyone actually, to be honest with you, any sponsor or anyone that we deal with or that's associated with this show um has that um mission near oh, yeah, dear, no doubt. Through their heart. So
3: yeah. Well Papa's Pilar is real involved in the regrowing the corals and stuff too yep
2: absolutely a lot of great things going on absolutely and not only that they give to a lot of great organizations uh, like captains for clean water and 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 others around it. they support the cca and all the other good things that they do too so um it's cool because we you know as a company and as a show um connected by water it's something that we firmly believe in and um and we're happy and proud of our sponsors because of they firmly believe in it too. So it makes sense for us. It's no, all no on brand. It's online. So
3: it's a great step toward the future.
2: Book number five.
3: That's I book. hold
2: in my hand, by author Bouncer Smith, with a lovely cover illustrated by our good friend R. J.
3: Boyle. And I have to mention one thing. Yes, that this is a great book, but it would never go anywhere without Pat Mansell. Because he turns my tape recordings into the English language. So, okay. Into so, the
2: English language?
3: Well, yeah. You know, I, I turn on a tape recorder and I tell a fish story. Mm-hmm. And it's pretty raw. He comes along and he turns it into proper English. Crosses
2: early. the T's and dots the I's, yeah, as they say. Yeah, I
3: make sentences out of run-alongs.
2: Okay. <laughs> and who is this? Pat
3: Mansell. Pat Manziel, Patrick Mansell, not to
2: be confused with Johnny Mansell, right? No, I think he, it's
3: spelled different. Too. Good, he's, he's these lucky ones. But one. Patrick, Patrick's got a ton of books. Yeah, he did the Bimmy Twist series, which was great reading for young readers. All about him and his sons is the basis of the stories. But they uh, catch drug smugglers and mm-hmm. sunken treasure people, and they go to Hawaii, and it's really a series, a great series of books. And then my favorite book by Patrick Mansell, second only to my five, Uh was he did one called The Father's Club.
2: The Father's Club. It
3: was all about you. Well, not you, because you don't have that problem yet, but you as a father with young teenagers Uh dealing with, this was set in a small town, but all the parents in the town dealing with the issue of drugs invading their neighborhood. Mm. Really, really neat book, The Father's Club. Interesting. By Patrick Mansell. Yeah, Great that's a big
2: book. problem right oh, now. Yeah. I mean, I mean, like epidemic problem. Oh, and that, you that, think it's
3: a problem in the big city, but then you hear about the little town with a thousand people out in the Midwest someplace or the out well, I west. I think it's kind of
2: worse there in lo- a lot of ways lot per of capita, capita, right?
3: Yeah. It certainly is.
2: It's scary stuff.
3: But they got it's, nothing better to do. That's exactly, that's
2: what I mean. Per capita, it's it's.
3: That's why it's all. That's why great. you need the fish more. That's why it's always great when you run into a ten or fifteen year old that just lives to fish. Yeah, yep. Ooh, so that can good, be your good, next slogan:
1: smoke the fish and not rock.
2: I like it. There you go. Good. Put on a t-shirt, Carly. Don't you, you know, know about wear it on catch the and podcast. release?
3: No, I don't know smoke about smoke and long. rock.
2: All right. <laughs> <good>. So anyway. <laughs> Um, I wanted first discuss that you and I have been together like all day long right now. We, yes, we know, have. For for the for anyone who has listened to the show for a long time, they may have picked up on the fact that we record our episodes on Monday afternoons. Right, but we've been together since the sun came up this morning, and we were fishing. And Are you sure
3: the sun was up? Well, is... I think sunrise is after seven thirty. Yeah. We were together about seven fifteen. Yeah,
2: sorry. So we were since before the sun came <laughs> up. This this is uh, this is everyone's gonna correct Dennis Day, right, Carleen?
3: <laughs> no, I, I S- just, just... just
2: just stick the camera on her face right now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so <laughs> um, it was cool. We got to take my daughter out today. Right? She's the greatest. And it, it really is. Uh, a special moment for me that um you know i think you it's one of those moments for me that she doesn't realize it yet but she's going to be able to look back on it as she gets a little older and say man that was really cool i hope she looks at it like that at least that my my dad took me out with bouncer and you know that's kind of where i really learned how to fish because we see her kind of blossoming and developing oh, she's into a into great an angler.
3: angler making great progress
2: yeah so she, she's been doing really good so and, and it really means the world to me um that we could take her out with you and but you've been doing this for a long time um taking kids fishing and it's something Love that it. brings you a lot of joy and you know, it, it i think that's one of the best qualities and traits um <laughs> about you and well, thank you. one of the reasons why not only myself but many people love you just because um, you know, the good you show in the community we talked about the past you know all the good things that you do you know environmentally and to, in, you know for the goals of conservation and protecting our fisheries and you know one of the great and grand wonderful things that you do is teaching the next generation you know proper ways of being on the water um, being good stewards of the water um, how to correctly be an angler and 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 just the ins and outs of it and you go through that in this book now this f- is the fifth book that's correct that that you've created and it just just came out with it when last week
3: well i picked up my first 10 copies a week ago and i picked up 20 copies today so that's okay. how fresh it is all
2: right and what i'd like to do today is kind of just go through this book Know, for All the right. audience. That sounds good. And maybe, you know, thumb through it and say, oh, because yeah. this is just chock full of stories. Oh, yeah. Right? Well, and I think it's, if you've never read a Bouncer Smith book, you really need to. And yeah, I can attest to this just because you are in, in our, what for you always struggle to call it, industry, but in in our world, our little biosphere of, you know, our marine industry, we're connected by water world um you, know, you you're the best storyteller we got <laughs> right, for sure and, and you know it's we're always proud deep to,
3: now can I get a bigger headset
2: we're, we're always proud to have you on so um you know as I was because you brought me this book today um and you, you signed it for me which I thank you and that was the first thing that we noticed like wow you got all these really cool stories this is just story after story and you have so many stories to share and we're a podcast so I said, well, like hey, I said
3: I like to talk yeah I mean... <laughs> tell stories well that's
2: that's great i mean you got things you got little stories in here you know it, there's one called kids and there's one mako ate sailfish and uh the monster amberjack and henry snook and you got all these things And you remember you remember all these stories about these kids and everything and, and what they experienced so henry snook there you go take me through one that the one
3: biggest disasters in my fishing career
2: really what happened
3: they started a new organization called uh Fish to make a difference. Mm-hmm. Uh, a guy named Clay Barker started it. And he got hooked up with Joe DiMaggio Children's Hospital. Okay. And he called me up and he says, I want to arrange to take kids fishing when they're well enough in their cancer treatment to get out for a few hours. So he says, I got a kid named Henry. I'd like to bring him out. I says, well, let's go. So they can only fish for an hour or two. I said, well, let's go late in the afternoon, and uh, we'll see what we can catch. So as it turned out, the tide was going out. We had some live herring, and we went to the inlet. The first drift, Henry catches about a 25-pound snuck. And the next drift, we hook a big barracuda. I thought
2: you said this was a disaster story.
3: Like, it's disastrous. Okay. My mate is A.B. Raymond. Mm-hmm. A.B. is 18 years old. Maybe not Also,
2: Also, from a long time ago.
3: Yeah. When he first started with me. So, at any rate, we take Henry, he catches a big snook. His dad catches a big barracuda. We go to the bent range marker, and Henry and his little brother catch a bunch of blue runners on light spinner rods. And it's really, really a great trip. And Mom says, Okay, we got to wrap it up. That's about all the excitement Henry can handle. So, we called it a day. So, When you take a -a Make-A-Wish trip, and you take a kid fishing, and the family fishing, you might get a letter from a nurse or somebody, thank you so much for taking this kid fishing. But you never hear from the family again. You don't know what the outcome is, nothing. Uh You never hear from them again. Well, here comes Clay Barker two weeks later. Gee, it's a shame Henry died. A.B. like fell over. I mean, here's a teenager. Yeah. He thinks the world of Henry. Had a great time for an hour or two. He's on cloud nine. And then a guy comes down and bursts his bubble. Yeah. Really heartbreaking. And... and
2: Now, do they not tell you what happens on purpose? Because they don't want you guys to get too emotionally... I think, that's a like lot
3: that? Of, I think that's a lot of how Make a Wish works. Okay. They want you to have a. They want you to have a good memory of the kid. Right. And and it's the best thing that can happen. I mean, I had another Make a Wish trip. It might be. I'm sure it's in the book, if not this book, one of the other books. Where I had a Make a Wish trip to go sword fishing. So uh,
2: make a wait sailfish there. That one. No, that's no, that's a different one. Okay.
3: They want to go sword fishing at night.
2: For their make-a-wish? Yes. Wow.
3: So, they were supposed to get to the dockets. St- they
2: specifically asked for nighttime sword fishing? Well,
3: that's what was offered to them, and that's what they accepted. They- so, at any rate, I ran up to the tackle shop at the marina to grab something. I come back down, and my mate Sherman says, We can't take these people sword fishing. This will never work. So... So the family comes back from going up to the convenience store to get some snacks. And and here they come. The Make-A-Wish recipient is 13 years old. And he's got terminal cancer. And he's got his little sister with him, and she's fine. And he's got a typical Midwestern mother. Too many mashed potatoes, but it's a really sweet lady. hmm And his grandma and his grandpa, who has terminal lung cancer.
2: Oh, my goodness.
3: And this is a night swordfish trip. And it's blown 12 to 15 out of the southeast. And the forecast for scattered rain. And I went up to the mother right away and I says, I know you guys signed up for a swordfish trip, but it's going to be rough. And in the best of situations, we might get a couple of bites sword fishing at night. And if we do, it'll take all of you to wind it in. And it's supposed to rain. Can I suggest that we go right outside inland here and go tarpon fishing? Mm -hmm. So we took them tarpon fishing. And on the first drift, the 13-year-old fights a tarpon, gets her head up to the boat. And my mate Sherman tries to grab it by the lower jaw, and that can be rather difficult. And sure enough, it pulls the hook. But it was a catch. Uh-huh. So we're high five and everything else about it. The second drift, we hook a tarpon, and Mom takes the rod. And we go in the channel, and we catch the tarpon, and Sherman grabs it by the lower jaw, and we get a picture with Sherman and the kid with the tarpon, and everybody's thrilled. But Grandpa says, are we going to catch any fish good to eat? I said, sometimes we catch a snapper or a mackerel or something. He said, well, I don't understand catching these big fish, 75-pound fish, and we don't catch anything to eat. I said, we never know what will come along next. The next drift, Grandpa catches a 15-pound black grouper on a live shrimp. Perfect. That never happens. We don't catch 15-pound black groupers on live shrimp. But we did that night. So we threw it in the fish box. So then we caught a mutton snapper and grandma caught it. And the little girl didn't care about catching anything. But every time I would make another drift, I'd run around in a big circle at 30 miles an hour. She just loved that. Mm-hmm. And then here comes the rains coming in and everybody's caught a fish.
2: And they're thanking you for not being in the middle of the ocean catching swordfish once those rain came, right? So
3: we head back to the dock. So I talked to Sherman. I says, you know, we thought we were going to fish all night, so we're not booked tomorrow. Why don't we take them out again in the morning? Maybe we can get sailfish or dolphin or something in the daytime. Right. He says, yeah, that's great with me. So I had told the mother, I says, you know, we could take the, take you all out fishing again in the morning. She says, oh, we'd be so appreciative if you could do that. So we got out in the morning. We had time catching bait. We caught some speedos. We put the speedos out. Before long, we got a big old sailfish on. So the 13-year-old's sitting on the back seat fighting it. And Grandpa's sitting next to him and and just watching everything he's doing. And and uh, we get it up to the boat. and Sherman's leading it. And it takes off on another run. And it runs 200 yards. hmm And the the 13-year-old and grandpa are bragging about who's going to get to heaven first. That's how sick the two of them are. Really? But the kid turns to So they've
2: they've really just accepted it. They're very accepting of it. Wow.
3: I've been dealing with a kid lately. It's the same way. Just, hey, it is what it is. Man. Make the best of what time I have left. But at any rate... The kid turns to Grandpa, and he says, I can't wind this fish in again. Take the pole. So now the kid's in there. Okay, Grandpa, pull the rod up, pull the rod up, pull the rod Okay, wind the rod down, Grandpa. Stop winding, Grandpa. Lift the pole up, Grandpa. Pull it up. And Mom's standing next to me taking pictures of the back of their heads. They're sitting on the back bench right behind the helm. And I says, Mom, you got to go back to the back of the boat and take pictures of them. These are the best pictures you're ever going to get of your boys. hmm uh-huh. And she went around there, and she took a couple of pictures on a phone, and she showed I mean, they they were going on the mantelpiece for the next 50 years. Sure. But at any rate, they got the sail up, and I have got. I think it might even be in the book there, but I've got a picture of Sherman and Grandpa and grandson and the sailfish just warm the cock on their hearts every time you see it. I mean, just picture-perfect you could ask for no better make a wish trip. I mean,
2: That's outstanding.
3: Just fantastic.
2: You know, this this book is filled with so many stories like that because you really have supported these organizations for so many years and you still are Do, you know, doing a lot Every chance a lot I of I good. Get. Yeah, every chance you get. And um, you know, and you know, for for great reason. You know, and, and um, you know, you would you are someone that you know, someone may the type of guy that Someone may make the comment, "Oh, this guy's forgotten more fishing than I'll ever know." You've heard that kind of couple saying times. before, right? A couple, couple times. times. Um, <laughs> but I'm convinced you haven't forgotten any of it. Like you, you, every time anyone, like at the drop of a hat, brings up a person, a name, or a story, you just sit there and rattle off the entire thing, and it's great. I don't think you've forgotten any of it.
3: I, my father was was a legitimate like your son is a genius. Yeah, my father was a genius. And he would read a, something in a book. And he could read chapter and verse 10, 15 years later. Mm-hmm. And, and I certainly didn't get his smarts. But I got his memory. You got
2: his memory. And, 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 and memory is a good thing for a fisherman.
3: And, and it's funny because I'll get in discussion with the people that I know for sure what happened. And their visualization of what happened has completely changed. Right. But it's good that I have books now because... I have to admit, at 75, some things are getting just a little grayer than they Get used to. Get a little hazy? Just well, a the, little bit.
2: There's one story I wanted to kind of... Just, I'm going to read the first line from this next one, um, just to switch gears a little bit from yeah. you know from from the previous stories that you just told. Uh, this one's called the Bob and Judy Lewis Kite Fishing, is yeah. the title of this <laughs> chapter. And it starts out back in the early 1950s, Bob Lewis was trolling down to the Ocean Reef Club or the Key Largo Anglers Club, I'm not sure which, for a week of fishing. How does the rest of that story
3: go? Well, Bob was trolling down. He had blue runners in the live well. He had They'd troll the reef and catch groupers and barracudas and amber jackson. And he had some blue runners in the well because when he got down near Ocean Reef, he was going to put out live blue runners to try to catch a sailfish. So he puts the Blue Runners out, and he's nosing to the south. And he sees Tommy Gifford a mile south of him with some red rag up in the air or some flag or something. And every time he turns around, Tommy Gifford's got a sailfish on. So they get to the dock that night, and Bob was very careful to never turn his boat around. Uh They never did catch a sailfish. But he goes to Tommy Gifford at night, and he says, How are you catching them all, them sailfish? Tommy says, come on down here. I'll show you. And Tommy was making kites out of kerchiefs and dowels from the five and dime. Uh And flying a kite and hanging pinfish from the kite, catching sailfish in big numbers. So he gave Bob a kite, and he says, here, this one flies, so it'll work for you because... One would fly and ten wouldn't, and he'd have to take them back apart and put them back together till they would fly. But uh, Bob's father had a heart attack, and he needed some source of income.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: So Bob figured out how to make collapsible kites. So he put his father to work making collapsible kites, and Bob would sell them. So Bob, or his father, eventually passed away. And Bob sold the rights to Bob Lewis kites to Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. so they made Pomponet fishing kites, and they had like a ten-year exclusive. And their ten years were up, and Bob had had a heart transplant, and his nurse was Judy Lewis, and they got married. And when they and they started making kites, and in their wedding vows, Bob... Judy
2: Lewis wasn't Judy Lewis until they got married, though, right? Right. Right, okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. At any
3: rate, in their wedding vows, Bob vow- vowed to get her a bonefish, a tarpon, and a sailfish. On their honeymoon, she caught a bonefish. Then they were so busy making kites and selling kites, they were too busy to ever go fishing. Right. And I'd ask them repeatedly, come on, let's go catch a sailfish for Judy, or let's go catch a tarpon for Judy. No, we're too busy. So I said, hey, it's a school day off. The weather forecast is good. i got to take my son out and catch him as first sailfish. But I need an adult to go with me, and wife, my wife's got to work. Would you go with me? So I conned Bob and Judy into going sailfishing with me to catch my son a sailfish. Uh-huh. So we get out, we put the kite up, and the wind dies completely, drops dead. And no, nobody fished helium yet. So, so my son caught a sailfish on a flatline herring and Judy caught a sailfish on a flatline herring. And my son's buddy caught his first sailfish on a herring on a flatline. All three of them caught their first sailfish ever with Bob Lewis, the kite man on flatlines. So
2: I listen, you're telling this story right now and I, I want to come maybe point out for the people that don't really understand the magnitude and the gravity of it all, yeah. and you just basically explain the story of the invention of kite fishing. Yeah, right. With but but it's modern a kite
3: fishing because kite fishing goes back hundreds of years. Tell me that. Well, let me finish this story. Are
2: oh, you tired? Go ahead. Don't let me interrupt you.
3: So everybody caught sailfish on flat lines. So when we go tarpon fishing. We always fish Uh flatlines, whether we're fishing live mullet or live shrimp or whatever. So I take, I keep, come on, we got to go catch a tarpon for Judy. No, we're too busy. We're too busy. So I call him up on a Saturday afternoon. I says, Bob, I'm in a real bind. I wrote a story on tarpon fishing for a magazine, but I don't have any new photographs. I got to go catch a tarpon for this magazine article. Can you and Judy go with me Sunday night? Well, yeah, we'll make it work. So we get out there. And we're slow trolling live mullet. South the government cut. And the tarpon rolling all over the place. And there's five or six boats there, slow trolling mullet, and nobody's getting a bite. And Bob says, You ever use a kite for tarpon? I says, Once in a great, great while, yeah, but not very often. Five, ten minutes later, Bob says, Think there's enough wind for a kite? Yeah, man, you're so, Bob. It's blowing about 12 knots. So I'm driving around, slow trolling, mullet, and everybody's driving around. Nobody's getting any bites. He says, Bob says, you got your kites on the boat? I says, oh yeah, they're down in the cabin for sure. Five, 10 minutes goes by. Nobody's getting any bites. Hey, Bob, you want to try the kite? I thought you'd never ask. <laughs> we couldn't get a bait out on the kite. We put the kite up, threw one mullet overboard, got it 50 feet from the boat, bang, we caught a tarpon. Really? Put the kite up again, 50 feet from the boat, bang, caught another tarpon and went home. That presentation is
2: something else, isn't it? <laughs> so
3: so I take the Lewis's out to catch a sailfish on a kite, and we catch them on flatlines, tell him how to catch a tarpon on a flat line we catch him on the kite so it was pretty good
2: that's fantastic so I mean you're bridling these things yeah at this point right I mean so so that was that like something that was just also thought of right away like with, the, with the dropping the kites down and like I mean at first are you just like trying to nose hook these things I mean well, or back hook them or like
3: the truth did, of the did matter, that
2: evolve
3: the truth of the matter is is that when I was in high school, well, if you want to start from the very beginning, I'm were, just
2: highly intrigued by this. They were kite fishing it, because in the I Oregon. mean, obviously, you you go on in the book to tell basically the story that you just yeah. told here in great detail. But I, I know I'm I'm picking it apart a little bit, and, and I want to know a little bit more.
3: Kite fishing started in Southeast Asia, Polynesian islands, or whatever, and then, and I'm very fuzzy on this. I'm not even sure how it worked, but. In California, they were trolling for southern bluefins, which they're catching again now. But when they would find the southern bluefin tunas over there and they tried to drive through them with trolling feathers, they'd spook and go down. So they tried to go around the outside of them, and they had a little bit of luck, but they would spook and go down. So a guy took a box kite. Mm
2: Mm-hmm
3: and put it up and hung Japanese trolling feathers from it and put it way downwind, and he would go across the wind and troll these Japanese trolling feathers through the schools of bluefin tunas and catch them every pass. So that was the first kite fishing in the United States that I was aware of.
2: Do you think that that Bob Lewis had that insight, or did he just maybe just... It all happens. Well, stance. don't
3: forget he didn't start it here. Don't forget that Tommy Gifford was already doing. Right.
2: I mean, I, I meant to say Tommy Gifford. Tommy, did Tommy Gifford have that insight?
3: But over the years, I've learned that they also kite-fished out of Montauk, New York, for something. Okay. Before way back when, but I don't know whether Catalina, from boat or land. No, from boats. Okay. But I don't know if it started in Catalina and then went to Montauk, or went from Montauk to Catalina. But modern kite fishing started with Tommy Gifford out of Keelargo using pinfish to catch salmon. And over the years after Bob had passed away, Judy called me up and she says, "I have made a kite that should fly in 35 knot winds to fish for bluefin tunas off of Nova Scotia. I need somebody to test it." So I took one of her kites with eight holes in it, about two inches in diameter each. And I got on my boat in a blowing Northeaster and I was running up and down Dumfounding Bay to make 40 knot winds, 50 knot winds, flying her eight hole kite so that she would know that it would fly for the guys in Nova Scotia. Mm-hmm. And the guys in, uh, in the West Coast of Mexico... Uh, and the boats out of San Diego that run down south, they all kite fish or helium fish for the giant yellowfin tunas. Uh, and I've kite fished for bonefish where I couldn't get up on a flat. I've kite fished uh, for sea trout on a grass flat. And
2: How'd that bonefish kite fishing go?
3: Oh, well, it worked pretty good. Yeah. I, would, I had a 33-foot dusky. It drew a couple feet of water. I'd get on the edge of a bonefish flat with the right wind direction, and I would put out a shrimp with a one-ounce lead above it, you know, a few feet, Mm -hmm. and I'd put out a mesh bag full of chopped up shrimp, and then I would put out a third line with a shrimp on a one-ounce lead, and I would have it soaking out there over the flats, and the bonefish would come up. And the shrimp were laying on the bottom, and they just come along and eat the shrimp, and we'd it's, have them on. It's
2: probably really great, too, because bonefish, they spook really easy. Yeah, so you, yeah. if you're not anywhere near them and you're presented like that.
3: Yeah, I would think that if I'd have seen any permit back then, I could have fight kitefish for a permit with live crabs.
2: Right. So, so now, when well, I mean, there's a lot of slack dropping in the water, too.
3: Well, the, the, it depends on how high you fly the kite. Okay. And quite frankly, you fish the pin tight enough to hook the fish Yeah. before it pops out of the clip anyway. I mean, nowadays with circle looks, it's a no-brainer. But there was a guy at the Castro named Chris Blum Mm -hmm. who had a lot of trouble with his feet and he had to quit charter boat fishing offshore and he was a real good sail fisherman. But he had a bass tackle, a bait shop on Hollandale Beach Boulevard in south end of Broward County and he was selling lures and live shiners and he would book bass charters and he would go to the canals in Broward County, and he would park his truck on one side of the canal, and fly a kite across the canal with live shiners on it, and fish for bass with the kite <laughs> in the canal. So
2: sounds fancy. Got to, you got to tell Bill LaPree about this.
3: Kites have got so many. Yeah, but if you want clowns, you got to get the bait down. Go down. Got to get the yeah. I caught a tarpon on a kite this past week, a week ago today. Did you really? Yeah, I was up this little creek. And there was this two-inch diameter stick, and I cast my live mullet <laughs> over the stick and down in the water. Well, Chippy
2: got one like that today.
3: And, and, well, I lost one today on the kite. Yeah. We would cast through the tree branches. Yeah. And we would have our minnows hanging way back in the trees where the minnow couldn't swim out. Yeah. That was the concept. And then it, where we were today, you'd wind and the tree would collapse, and the line would fall off the tree. But with the tarpon, with the two-inch diameter log, I had the tarpon hanging in here. We had to drive over with the boat to release the tarpon.
2: That's great. For a few weeks ago, uh, when I was fishing with um with Derek and his cousin Andrew yeah. Redwine yeah. up there in Merritt Island, we were snuck fishing. Andrew caught one that way. Yeah, you know, we're going to skip the the doas and, and you know yeah. underneath the mangroves and stuff. And he, you know, obviously you're always throwing them into the trees.
3: When we were teenagers, we would fish for snook in the north end of Dade County, and yeah. the shorelines had a lot of Australian pines. Yeah. And we would throw a eight-inch mullet over the Australian pine branch and kite fish with a live mullet, and when the snook came up, the pine branch would just drop down, and the line would slide right off, and you were in business. So. Yeah.
2: Perfect. Yeah. Um... I think that's highly incredible. I, I just love hearing you talk about the early days of kite fishing. You know, it, it's such a fairly still. I think modern kite fishing It's yeah. still still a thing that's it used to be around here in Pompano um, when and in Miami. You know, when it all start started exploding, now it's just so commonplace.
3: Do you know, I don't usually pull blow my own horn or anything. But if you ask Skip Smith who brought kite fishing to Broward County, it was me. yeah I don't know why Jack Plactor doesn't get the credit because Jack Plactor was fishing out of BMR before I was mm-hmm. and he was kite fishing but then again it might be my bad trait that I always want to share what I know. But at any rate, Skip Smith was just barely not a teenager anymore. He worked at BMR and I was a BMR and he would come down to me at the end of the dock. And I'd throw his head on the deck and stomp on his hat a few times. And then he'd ask me about kite fishing. And I'd tell him everything I knew about kite fishing. He said I brought kite fishing to Broward County.
2: Well, if Skip says that, then no one can doubt it. That's for sure, right? Quite
3: an honor to have somebody like... If if anybody in the listeners doesn't know, Skip Smith is one of the most innovative fishermen that has ever wet a line.
2: (sighs) I mean he's kind of like the benchmark right
3: he is the benchmark yeah I mean
2: you know it it skips the benchmark of of I think what every great legendary captain or angler really should strive to be in their lifetimes I mean he's he's really achieved it all there's nothing that's a guy that you can really look at and say that you have you have absolutely nothing left to prove
3: except for that he's still proving things oh sure He's so innovative. He was. Very I mean, he listen. Key.
2: He's the one. He's the reason that we have the, the Tommy Gifford Award in the first place. Yeah, that's That was his brainchild.
3: Well, not giving credit where credit's due, that was Mark Soson's brainchild. Okay. Mark Soson, a long time ago, was fighting for recognition for crew members in the fishing world, and Mark and Skip were good friends, and. He kind of got Skip to take it over for him. But then Skip ran with it. It never would have happened without Skip. But Mark put the bug in his ear. So,
2: You have a lot of really great things in this book, and we're going to move on through the book, right? <laughs> and How
3: many weeks have we got? <laughs>
2: <laughs> and we got to ask Yanni over there. Oh, Yanni's like, <laughs> uh, there's a really well, cool... Well, you
3: know, I listen to these podcasts... And sometimes I go, is this podcast ever going to end? I hope not, because they're so good.
2: <laughs> well, thank you for saying that.
3: Especially the rock and roll, which I know nothing about.
2: Listen, George started it. Okay. I know. He got me rolling on Pink Floyd. What, what was it? What was I going to do?
3: It was such a great show, though.
2: All right, I'm going to start this chapter here for us. It's page eighty-three. Ron John's crab. Ron John Cook. <laughs> was a great mate of mine this time Ron John and I had a two boat trip to Bimini we were joined by Matt Trambor in one boat and Ron John and I were on another boat it was a two boat group of guys
3: from Wisconsin this is so crazy (laughs) so we have my charter boat which everybody knows that if it exists, bouncer's got it. Every rod and reel, every kite, every lure. But the bottom line was that we're on a fully equipped charter boat with three or four cast nets. And Maddie's on a private boat with no cast nets. So we cast net all of our pilchards in the residential canals in Pimini. And we put them in our well with their sandy keys and they don't transfer well. So we caught pilchards. We gave the castanet to Matty. Maddie. Matty Maddie castanetted pilchards and gave us back the castanet. So then we go fishing for the day. And it's 2 or 3 in the afternoon. We cross paths. And in the course of things, we had netted a bunch of fresh ballyhoo. So Maddie says, oh, give me some ballyhoo. Because we knew we weren't going to bring over frozen ballyhoo to Bimini. Well, I was catch them over there. So we gave him a couple dozen fresh Ballyhoo in a bucket. And he says, is that all I need more? So Ron John grabbed a handful of Ballyhoo and threw them at Maddie. And you know how nasty Ballyhoo are. Mm-hmm. They have a real diaper problem. Yep. And so Maddie gets smushed all over his clothes. So Ron John, I didn't know Maddie real well at the time, but Ron John turns to me and he says, that was a big, big mistake. We're going to pay for that. I said, don't oh, we me. You did it. So at any rate, the next morning, we catch our pilchards. We give Matty the net. He keeps the, one of the nets. Remember, we got three or four nets, so it's no big deal. But he keeps one of the nets. So in the afternoon, we get in, and Ron is making conch salad, dicing up the vegetables in the conch, and I'm filleting fish, and Maddie and his gang are running around. And uh, pretty soon we all go to dinner. And after dinner, I go up to the room. I'm going to call it a night. They go to the bar. An hour later, hour and a half later, here comes Ron John. Ron John and I are sharing a room. Ron John comes in. And he goes in the head and he comes out of the head. And he jumps in bed and he pulls up the covers and he's... Doggone oh, a goddamn maid. <laughs> and he throws a towel against the wall. He says, I can't believe she left a damp towel underneath my bedding. Gee, that's a shame, Ron. I don't know what to tell you.
2: <laughs>
3: so, lights out. Everything's quiet. All of a sudden, I I got my back to that, that bed... All of a sudden he's screaming and hollering and I turn around and he's doing crazy dances on the bed. What in the hell's the matter? <laughs> he settled in the bed and the crab nestled no. up against his rib cage. No. <laughs> it was a blue crab that had to have a 9 or 10 inch point to point shell width oh. I mean it was the big daddy blue crab Maddie had caught it in his cast net they teased it all day with a bait needle poking at it and stuff and he put it in Ron John's bed and put a wet towel over it so it wouldn't die
2: oh my god
3: <laughs> it was so crazy so that was Ron John's crab
2: that's funny that's awesome it, you know the revenge stories are always good. There was one we told on this on this podcast a long time ago um, that I, I'm just going to paraphrase the whole thing. But the bottom line is, there's a guy named Jim Steele that fishes with Art Sap um, and Skip Dana, or used to. You know, they all used to fish together. Jim and Art still skip. I mean, Jim and Art still fish together on the Native Sun, but they played a joke on on someone. And someone got the back pretty good by, you know, kind of urinating in their fishing boots in the <laughs> middle of the night. Yeah, so I'm paraphrasing that, but... Well,
3: I'll tell you how the Matt, and Ron John thing goes. Yeah. Matt was always the instigator. Ron John fell asleep in a Wahoo tournament sitting in the, in the cabin at night. And he got up to go to bed. And he went down in the stateroom. And he went to kick off his sandals. And he had to come back up in the salon and get a razor blade and slowly cut his sandals off of his feet. No, Because Matt had poured crazy glue oh. on his toes with the one post of the sandal
2: <laughs>
3: here, and the two toes glued together here, and the glue ran down, so his toes were glued to here. And then we were over in uh, Boat Harbor... And Ron John comes down to us. He's so mad. He says, I don't know who did it, but I'm going to find out. But Maddie had filled his ears with Neosporin.
1: No.
2: Neosporin?
3: <laughs> yeah, just heated it up and filled his ear with Neosporin.
2: My God. A little dangerous? Couldn't hear
3: it. No, what's wrong with Neosporin?
2: I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if they can go in every orifice. Can it, it just
3: went in his ear. That's all.
2: All right. <laughs> I don't know. We can can, can get brain infection or something, right? What? Nothing. Put it in a lot of places. (laughs) Yeah, Yanni knows every place you could put things. I don't
3: know. TMI. TMI.
2: (laughs) All right. Bringing a story that's a little bit closer to home here in Pompano. We're going to talk about the Great White Shark. Right, and this starts out as in chapter Great White Shark. They're not numbered page 117 just because I want to remind people that we're taking excerpts from your book because it's easy to forget because you're so great at telling the story <laughs> so this one starts out I was fishing in the Pompano Rodeo with Jim Atria on his boat the Jennifer Lynn in the early 1980s we had fished three tournaments in a row the Miami Billfish Tournament the Fort Lauderdale Billfish Tournament and now the Pompano Rodeo, all together on the same boat. The mates had changed, but for this tournament, my mate was Jack Platcher, a famous captain of long time standing over the years, running different kinds of private boats and charter boats as well.
3: What happened? So the Pompano Rodeo used to be two and a half days. Mm -hmm. So the first... We were fishing with or against the web Tide, which was Jerry Webb, Terry Guthrie, and Mike Marino. And they were fishing, the, and the Pompano Rodeo was a kill them all weigh them in tournament back then. And they were going for sailfish and kingfish, and I don't think blackfin tuna's counted back then, but they might have. But at any rate... In the rodeo? They were fishing the reef... And we were going offshore looking for a blue marlin, trolling marlin baits every day. So the first day we caught a big white marlin. matter of fact, I think it's still the tournament record for the Pompano Rodeo. And a couple of big dolphins. And after two days, we meet at a restaurant for breakfast. It might have been a ranch house or something, somewhere in Pompano. And we're all eating breakfast together. And this other, this guy walks up, he says, you guys look like fishermen. Yeah, we are. He says, fishing rodeo? Yeah, we are. How you doing? And uh, Jerry Webb says, well, not very well. The guy says, why? What's going on? He says, well, we hear people calling in fish all day. They're catching a lot of fish. We're catching a fair amount, but nothing like these other boats. Well, they had never fished the Pompano Rodeo. You know, every fish has to be called in. They all have to weigh 10 pounds, and they call in the 7-pounders just like they do the 10-pounders. So at any rate, the guy says, what's the name of your boat? Jerry says, it's the uh, Web Tide. The guy says, man, you're in first place. Really? Yeah. And he says, what's your boat? I says, we're on the Jennifer Lynn. He says, man, you're in second place. They're ahead of you by 39 pounds. So now we go out on the last day. And they go up north on the reef, and we head straight offshore again. And I'm about 20 miles offshore, going right straight into the morning sun. Hey, Jack, there's an oil slick off the bow. Okay, everybody, liven up. That means that there's a small but intense slick, which means something has been killed, whether it's a flying fish or a swordfish, there's an oil slick in the water now I'm going straight in the sun. I can't see much. Hey, Jack, something just popped up in the slick. I think we got a swordfish kill. So now Jack immediately starts making a 039 wire lead, piano wire leader with a 14-0 hook. And we got brand new 80-pound outfits on the boat, a brand new line on our 80-pound outfits. So he winds one in. He puts the wire leader on it. And he tells the boss, stand over on the side on the rail you know, in the cockpit and gaff anything that comes by with the flying gaff so I'm going straight into the sun and then it's going underneath the bow and I can't see what I'm doing but I know that it's going to come right down the side of the boat and next thing I know the Jim Atria is hollering for help I turn around he's got a big swordfish T-boned on the flying gaff so I bump the boat in reverse to stop the forward motion and we open the door and we dragged the swordfish in the boat. It's got no bill. It's got no tail fin. But it's quivering. It's still quivering. And uh, I go back up on the bridge. Swordfish is laying in the cockpit. Here comes this huge shark. Where'd my breakfast go? I says, Jack, the biggest mako you ever saw is behind the boat. So we cut off a piece of swordfish meat and tried to get him to eat it and he wouldn't eat it. Mm-hmm. And he was going around the boat, round the boat, and he'd come over and look at this strip of swordfish. He wouldn't eat it. So Jack, gut the swordfish, throw some guts in the water. Don't throw the heart or the liver in. But leave the filet on there, but add the heart to the hook. He throws threw some guts in the Ate the guts immediately. Threw the bait back in with the heart on there. Ate it immediately. Okay, Jack. He's swimming. He's coming right at us. We're not going to set the hook. Okay, he's 9 degrees. We'll wait till he turns away, and then I'll gun the boat ahead, and we'll hook him. So I wait till he turns all the way around, going straight away from us. I dump the engines in gear. The boss is sitting in the chair. Jim's sitting in the chair. Set the hook on this 80 with 20 pounds of drag. Line's peeling off the reel. I stop. The shark turns around and comes right back to the boat. Really? So I wait till he turns a little bit, and I gun the boat ahead, and we're jerking and everything. Stop the boat, and here he comes again. And I gun the boat ahead again, and he came off. 39 inches from the hook. The wire, this 039 wire is like, almost like coat hanger wire. It's piano mm-hmm. wire. It's bent about like that, where we'd, it had been down in his gullet, and we had wrapped that wire right around his jaw. So all of our jerking was on the bend of the wire really? instead of on the hook. And when we set the hook the third time, he was looking right at us. He just opened his mouth, and the thing popped out. And he came right back to the boat. And uh, I said... You want to try them again or you want to try to win the tournament? Everybody unanimously says, oh, we wasted enough time. Let's go win the tournament. Yeah. So we took off trolling. It wasn't 10 minutes. Get a big wahoo. Call our buddies on the reef, on the webtide. We oh, I called the committee boat. Committee boat, we caught a nice wahoo. The web tide calls. How big is the wahoo? I says it's going to be really close if you haven't caught anything. Mm-hmm. So we fishing ended at twelve thirty or something like so that. So it's at
2: least like thirty five to forty pounds.
3: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So so lines out of the water. Tournament's over. The Web Tide and the Jennifer Lynn and a couple other boats have to the Quetzal have to report to the main weigh-in station because there were three weigh-in stations for the press and for polygraphs and everything. So at any rate... The web tide calls me. How big is your wahoo? I says, oh, 60, 65 pounds. Congratulations. We'll see you tonight. And they turned their radio off.
2: No. They never weighed the fish?
3: No, 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 no. They thought they didn't catch a fish last night. Oh, okay. But they thought we beat them. So as we're pulling up to the weigh-in, they're pulling away. Don't leave. Don't leave. Come back. I was joking. And they drive off. We'll see you tonight. The Wahoo weighed 38 and a half pounds.
2: They won by a half pound.
3: Now, giving sidebar to the story, we called the fish market uh, Call Seafood. What are you paying for swordfish? They said, $3 a pound cord out. Shark bites are a dollar a pound. So, We knew that shark bites paid less because they'd been soaking on a long line all night. Mm -hmm. We knew that our swordfish had been boated, still quivering, hearts still pumping, and we'd immediately iced it down. So we had to cut off our fish at the anal opening, cut all the fins off and gut it, cut it off at the collar, and take it to port of call.
2: Sounds like a night hanging out with Carlene.
3: Well, that plug, that plug from the anal opening to the collar, was three hundred pounds. So that swordfish was way over five hundred.
1: It is just from the bottom.
2: I had to get it going.
3: I'm not getting in the middle of this TMI stuff. I'm sorry. I just, I'm a very clean-cut, innocent boy. I don't know what you're oh, talking I'm about. Pretty clean-cut. What'd you say?
2: This book has chock full of of great stories (laughs) Listen
3: I'm sure glad the story about the kingfish isn't in there because the kingfisher would really get out of control You don't want to hear about the kingfish Here let me close the book Would you like to hear about the kingfish Please do tell right, You can't sit you can't up like that and not tell me the story now, now listen Now bear in mind I've, written, I've done five books Me and Pat Mansell The first book I'm not sure Whether it's PG-13 or R I can't mm. figure it out Because I haven't read the story in a while but the bottom line is, is that early in my career, I was running, I was mating and running a 48-foot Carolina boat called the Topluck. And the owner of the boat, who ran the boat once in a while, he had been in a Ford mechanic before he became a commercial kingfisherman, before he became a charter boat captain. And One of his old buddies called from Jackson, Mississippi and started booking us to go to the Bimini all the time. So we had a Ford dealer from Jackson, Mississippi and a Cessna dealer from Jackson, Mississippi. And they they were both in their 50s and they always brought a couple of 20-year-old nieces with them and a pilot to fly the plane. And... We would get on the boat to Castaways, and the rule was if the girls could not see the dock, they could not wear any clothes. Really? And we also went to Bimini, and they'd be that way for a week. But at any rate, if they couldn't see the dock, they couldn't wear any clothes. So.
2: Whose rule is this?
3: Uh, the, the charters, the guys from Jackson, Mississippi. Okay. But I thought are there, it was a Are there a good lot rule. of
2: girls on? You thought it was a good rule.
3: Yeah, I thought it was a rule. There were okay. always a couple of nieces, sometimes three nieces. Okay. We'd come. Now, one year.
2: You listen to this, Carlene.
3: One year, this, one year, this <laughs> vending machine operator from New Jersey, he had a very bent nose. Okay. He came down early, and he said, "He said, send your nieces down early. I'll pay their airfare to fly commercial."
2: Sure, he will. Of course.
3: For the nieces to come, what'd you say? Did, no, did you
2: kidding. miss the part about what the rule on the boat is?
1: No, it's to, if you can't see shore, you can't get dressed.
2: Okay,
3: right. no, you can't given. wear clothes. Can't wear clothes.
1: Not, I don't wear clothes on my husband's boat
3: anyway, so it's okay. So this I'm just making boat. sure
2: that you you got I've the full, this full this context on of the story. Boat with a
3: clean cut nineteen year old boy it on board. It is
1: clean cut, and he is like a nineteen year old boy. He's eight years <laughs> younger than me. What are you? It's all <laughs> irrelevant.
3: So, rate, <anyway, laughs> now we go now. We've got the guy from New Jersey, two girls from Jackson, Mississippi, and we're slow trolling live blue runners right in front of Holover Inlet. Okay. And these big smoker kings are biting.
2: Holover Inlet? Yes. Was George Poveromo there?
3: No, he was off that day. Okay. He was too young to go fishing. <laughs> he might have gone with his daddy to go for bluegills.
2: I can't imagine George Poveromo too young.
3: Well, I said he might have gone for bluegills. Okay. But at any rate... We're solo trolling right in front of lit with lively runners catching big smoker kingfish, and it just so happened, a book had just come out by a lady of the evening, Xavier Hollander, and the book was The Happy Hooker. Okay. And Xavier was a madam in New York, and we have these two nieces on board who can't afford clothes. And you know what a ten-inch flying gaff hook looks like? Mm-hmm. Whoa! Well, this ten-inch flying gaff hook with no rope and no handle was the envy of every nineteen-year-old boy you ever met that day. Sure Not was. Not the
1: naked chicks on board. What? Not the naked
3: girls. They were having a lot of fun with it. Okay. But I was wishing I was Ouch. a flying gaff hook.
1: Ooh. Where's the neosporin? <laughs>
3: They were not using the pointed end. They were using the.
1: Either way, that's.
3: It's not making my book God. R-rated or GP. I think it makes it. And you're talking rated. about
1: what happens when the camera's <laughs> off in this in the studio. He's, you know. Jesus, bouncer! I can never look at you the same again after this.
3: I didn't do anything. <sighs> I was just a jealous little boy. Man. Proceed. Well, I finished the story That's what? the end of it Oh no it got better That's right well, We're the, Right in front of the <laughs> inlet So here comes this charter boat They hit a wake Ouch And then <laughs> No here comes this charter <laughs> boat Out of Hallover, Which was Hall- Castor was the high class boats Holover was low class boats Here comes one of these low class boats Out of Holover. And the captain's in his 70s And He comes He, he looked over at our boat he was going next to us. He was running out. He looked over at our boat and he made a big U turn. He came right back and he came right up between our rigger lines, right up to the back of our boat. And he's <laughs> flybridge bridge like this. <laughs> 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 Watching the girls huh? who are sitting on the fish box with the 10 inch flying gaff hook. <laughs> and they're holding the book in their hand, of course, for the pictures, you know.
2: It's outstanding. <laughs> So, I'm going to do something that I've never done on this show before. No. <laughs> no. No, 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 negative writer. So, I would, I would, and the reason I have to do this is because I need to take a break real quick. Go Carly, can you come sit here in this seat? Oh, boy. And Bouncer's going to tell the next story.
3: I told okay? you not to eat that wahoo today.
2: Right? And the bouncer is going to tell the next story.
3: This must be a very important phone call if he's walking away from me.
2: Floating dreams.
3: Oh, that's not a story. No, God. all right. Then we'll
2: pick it up. They'll pick it everyone.
3: No, we can the, do floating the dreams. The and that's Ron like, Taylor
2: need. No, it's okay. Is it all right? Yeah. All right. Here. Ladies and gentlemen, Marlene Rybinski, the world's greatest bartender.
3: And I'll tell you what, she was the best looking woman at the IGFA the other night. Thank you. No doubt about it. Put the microphone up high enough now. Do you ever wear a microphone before?
1: See, he's telling me, get it closer to my mouth right off the bat. This is so weird. Well, (laughs) they taught me.
3: So he wants me to do Floating Dreams. Floating Dreams is kind of boring after the last story. (laughs) But Floating Dreams is basically about floating debris in the ocean. And uh, one of my favorite floating dreams, which was kind of a floating nightmare, it was so foggy or smoky or whatever it was, you could not see land from five miles offshore. And we didn't have GPS back then. We, We navigated by guess and by golly. And I'm out dolphin fishing with Al Hauer and his wife Jeannie and another couple. And I find the belly of a fixed-gear airplane. The two wheels sticking up in the air. And half of the numbers, the bottom half of the numbers are there, but not the top half. So you kind of have to guess what the numbers are. But anyway, we trolled by it, and it was the most phenomenal fishing you ever want to ask for. A big dolphin and rainbow run, big rainbow runners, and just every pass was productive for quite a while. And I called the Coast Guard, and I says, I found the belly of a fixed-wing airplane out here. They said, where are you at? And I says, I think I'm about 10 miles off of Hallover Inlet. And they says, well, what's your Loran A say? I says, we don't have a Loran A. He says, well, how are we supposed to find you in the fog if you don't even know where you're at? I says, well, I found an airplane. That's all I know. So that was a fiasco. But my favorite floating dreams. I'm out on a charter. And way off in the distance, I see a bunch of bird activity. So I head over there. And I start, I get within, we'll say a quarter of a mile. Or no, a half a mile maybe. And I can see this big bulk sticking out of the water. And I get closer and it's a huge tree. As big as the biggest banyan tree you ever saw floating in the water. And I fished that spot probably three hours and I never got within a hundred yards of that tree. I filled my fish box right to the lid, I pulled my fish box out, and I filled an equal space behind my fish box. All the way up to the lid of the cooler. And I pulled the cooler out again. And I filled it up with fish again. And I finally went home. And I never got to the tree. Unbelievable fishing. Wahoo and dolphin. Just one right after another. It was just the most insane thing. And then I went to... Uh, I went to uh, South Pass, Louisiana 1971. June of 1971. Uh I was hired by the guys with the with the nieces from Jackson Mississippi No these guys didn't have the harpoon I mean the flying gaff hook it was the guy from Jersey who had the hook same girls oh, okay. different men Two
1: girls yes. two girls yes. Yes. one hook uh, Yes <laughs> two, two, two. <laughs> <laughs>
3: So <Sorry>, right <laughs> They hired me to be the fishing consultant slash mate. And we met the boat in Biloxi, Mississippi and we ran down to Port Eed, South Pass, Louisiana. And we're gonna fish this all species like it was the Gulfport Rodeo, which means you could catch anything and it would count practically. So at any rate, we're going to fish the Gulfport Rodeo and uh, I make up all these baits and we get up at 5 o'clock in the morning and we head out the Mississippi River and we're running off and we're about 25 miles offshore and the guy comes down and he says, get ready to put them out, there's a beautiful weed line. Well, the water went from this color to that eh. color. something went from this color to this color. maybe this no this color to this color. From brown to light brown. Nice weed line. And they want me to fire the baits out. and they're hollering. there's tuna, tuna jumping all over the place. So I put all these baits out. We troll for an hour, we don't get a bite. I never saw a tuna jump. The water was terrible. I says, we got to go further out. So we ran 65 miles. And I forget the details, but I think we caught a sailfish and a wahoo and a dolphin or something. And we, at the end of the day, we go back to the dock, back to South, South Port Eats. So the next day, or that night over dinner, I said, we have got to go find the blue water. So the next morning, we left at 3 o'clock. And 100 miles offshore, we found a rip that the weed was so thick the captain was afraid to drive the 41 Hatteras through the weed line. He drove down the weed line till he found a break in the weed line where a ship had gone through or something and went through the break and we put the baits out. You've never seen any better dolphin fishing in your life. We caught so many dolphin over the next two days that we were cutting up a bed sheet and putting new skirts on trolling lures out of bed sheet. 30, 40, 50-pound dolphin, one right after another. Caught a nice blue marlin. That's a whole other story of the blue marlin, because it was really crazy.
1: That's an amazing story. Why don't you tell us the blue marlin
3: story? Well, I haven't told finished finish the first one. Okay. <laughs> so, So... So I'm going to tell the Blue Marlin story You talked me into it. So we're trolling along and I got a mackerel on the right long rigger and I pull the outrigger down and I put the line in the clip and I pull the bait in closer to the boat and I pull the rigger back up some. Pull the bait closer to the boat and pull the rigger back up and all of a sudden, BAM! Weed's catching in the water. It's got a big ball of weed on it. It jerks like crazy. So I jerk back and I pull the rigger up the rest of the way and I go to pull on it and it jerks again. And I look back there. Here's a blue marlin doing everything in his power to eat a pack of seaweed and a Spanish mackerel. And I'm trying to take the bite away from him. We caught the blue marlin. but uh, that was I you, think dude. it's
2: so incredible. This is the first time, <laughs> Bouncer, that I've Actually one time I've been behind the bar was when when all the papas whole we did the whole papas thing. Your first ever podcast in, in here, right? Yeah. It was the only time I've ever been behind them. But this is actually the only time Did I make a horrible drink for you.
1: This
3: sucks. I'm sorry. This sucks. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't know what the first thing about gin. I told sorry. you
3: to use the Pilar. i not drinking not... gin. It's Pilar.
1: What are you giving me gin for? This I don't
2: a... know. Maybe, maybe that's why. <laughs> I told I
3: you to use the Papa's Pilar. What's <laughs> the matter <wrong laughs> with God... you?
2: I don't know. I just grabbed the bottle that was up here and I said this and this. And she went, yeah. And I said, well, it like that. Anyway.
1: At any rate, just throwing me under the bus in front of the sponsors. What <laughs> happens
2: when we don't drink polar? I'm just saying, it's re- this is a really interesting perspective to have on the show. Is just to to be up here and just watching you all. From well, here. I'll tell you one. I thing. can't say that I necessarily. Am I'll tell you
3: one it. thing. I wish you quit distracting us because I'm sitting across from a beautiful woman.
2: You're, you're And you want me to tootin'. look at
3: you while you're talking.
2: I don't want you to look. That's that's. He I, sees me in a dress one
3: cracking, time. Sir. <laughs> no, you've always looked beautiful. Thank you. But anyway, getting back to these dolphins you, you want the to blue come back girl, behind the bar?
1: I want a good drink.
3: <laughs> <laughs> right, well, maybe you should come back here and make your own right, Let's switch. Let's switch. Unless you want to stay there. To stay there. Help. Right, She's it's it's the going back eyes. up there oh, again. Yeah. I
2: right, go ahead, bouncer. Proceed.
3: So, anyway. <laughs> So now we've got this freezer, walk in cooler, full of giant dolphin, tunas, wahoo, blue marlin, white marlin, everything. And we called the rodeo headquarters and we said, We have a ton of fish. We have not weighed in daily. Are we eligible for Master Angler? How many anglers are on the boat? Two. Are the only ones catching fish? Yes. Well, then just bring all your fish in tomorrow, and we'll split it in half, and you'll be eligible for master angler. Now, we have have now blown an engine, by the way, on the way home. The second day coming in from 100 miles offshore, about 95 miles from shore, we blew an engine. So we're pretty slow. But at any rate, we take all those fish out of the ice house and pile it in the cockpit and put some ice on it and put a canvas over it and start chugging to Gulfport, Mississippi. Gulfport, Louisiana. Gulfport, Louisiana. And by the time we got to Louisiana, which normally they have a truck come down from New Orleans and pick up the fish and take it back to New Orleans... And distributed up there to orphanages. We brought it to the Gulfport Rodeo, and they said, Oh, no, you're not eligible to win the Master Angler. You didn't weigh your fish in every day, and the fish went bad. Criminal. But we did so win. So you're out of luck. No, we won the Blue Marlin, the Top Four Dolphin, and the, I think it was a White Marlin herself. I don't remember. We, we won everything but the Master Angler. We had a table like this that was just trophies from one end to the other.
2: Well, it sounds sounds a little shady to me. I mean, it's, it sounds like that... Well, it... I don't know. You, you, you won every category and you're not the Master Angler?
3: No. Because they have to weigh in every day. That's what, what I say to that. Of? You know, rules are made to be rules. If you want to win tournaments... Let me tell you something. If right. you want to win tournaments... You better read all the rules.
2: That is for sure.
3: We fished a club outing. That is for sure. We fished a club outing in Chub K. And we're taking this 36 Hatteras to Chub K. And it's a rod and reel club outing. And I run the boat over there with my mate. And we get tied up. And the customers come on board. We're going to fish for barracudas. What? We need two barracudas on every class of tackle, from eight pound spin, eight pound spin, ten pound spin, twelve pound plug, fifteen pound plug, uh, eight, twelve, twenty, and thirty pound general. And then, if we aren't done yet, with two of each per angler. Then we'll fly fish the rest of the day. And all we did was catch and release barracudas, except for that we put a couple out as teasers to help raise more barracudas. Really? And I was so, by my, my job came fishing for barracudas. Yeah, right. So one of the rules of the Wyoming Beach Round Reel Club is that the scorekeeper cannot share any information about what's being turned in. So
2: That's interesting.
3: Saturday night, they have the awards ceremony. And first place in the Blue Marlin division is Joe Schmoe with two Blue Marlin at 200 points apiece for 400 points. Yay! Boy, that guy must have won the whole thing. He must have cleaned the house. First place. Oh, no, second place, Master Angler. One of my customers. That guy had 400 points. 3,800 points. What in the world? First place angler. 5,200 points. What? Uh, Blue Marlin on 30 mm-hmm. were 200 points for a release. Every Barracuda was 200 points.
2: Come on.
3: Every barracuda. Come on. Needless to say, the next year we went back, barracudas didn't count.
2: Oh my god. So the come next on.
3: year So the next year we went bone fishing and mackerel fishing and dolphin fishing and barracuda no no barracudas didn't count, snappers and groupers, and we won the whole thing. And then and then they They had another tournament a couple of years later in Bimini and they had changed the rules again so we fished all plug and spl- fl- spin and fly on the shallow wrecks and we beat everything again and the next year they said okay we're going to have a junior angler tournament so we took our kid with us and watched we drove him crazy
2: listen I want to summarize this real quick like my perspective on on everything that's happened here tonight Right, and actually, probably beyond all that, because <sighs> there's a bunch of different ways I can like put perspective on uh, on this. Not only just this episode, but you and what you've meant to connect by water, and what you've meant to this show, and the reason that we have you on so much is we've discussed at length. And I know you roll your eyes when I say this. What legend you are! Okay, it is true. All right, you've been awarded as such by many organizations, so that needs to be an accepted, an accepted outcome. Okay, I know, I know, big head, right? So that needs to be an accepted outcome. Um, you've written five books. This is your fifth book, and we've one of the reasons why I wanted to go through this. And one of the reasons why I made the comment earlier about the whole forgotten war fishing than, you know what I mean, than most people ever know, but you haven't forgotten the damn thing, (laughs) right? And, you know, saying things like, you know, the greatest storyteller, you know, in, in our landscape or our biosphere and all that. And all these things are very true. But I want to really just put a little perspective on it for us and what we're trying to bring to the table by bringing you on... The show all the time, is just you are really, really just a gem and a special person, and and it's it's for me, it's just an honor to know you, right? and it's an honor really to call you friend.
3: Well, that feeling's mutual. And it, I
2: feel but the thank same for, way and, about and, you. And that that just that just gives me goosebumps when you say that. It it really does because I love you, bouncer. I love you too. I really do. And, and, and I like
3: Carly more though. Carlene, <laughs> Carlene, who's
1: Carly? Does she cook? <laughs> Can she be our nanny? I don't know. Do you cook? I do. <laughs>
3: <laughs> I thought you said the lasagna was all dried out.
1: It's because I had it set in the oven, and they came home from softball for 45 minutes later.
3: Did you want to say something, Dennis? I just want to say that I
2: cherish every moment with you. Likewise, and I really do. In every episode that you come on is just appreciated and just the most special moments for us and, and we like to have a good time and we like to joke around and we'd love to hear your stories and and that's what friendship's all about and uh, i i love that we can be as casual with you and it, it, it really does mean a lot and, and um i hopefully our our you know our listeners appreciate that and and get into it i believe they do um and uh it, it's just you know i just want to thank you for just giving us your time again Really?
3: Well, I absolutely love every minute I spend with any of this gang. I mean, just have, you always hang around with the best people. You are the best people. And uh, it's always great to be around you. And I love coming in here. And I love going fishing with you. Yeah, likewise. And, uh, and
2: that's the thing, too. That's another thing, too. It's like, for crying out loud, I mean, just, just to, as many times as we've fished together over, over the past couple of years has just been the greatest oh, you know, yeah. for me okay. and, and, and again how we started this podcast out is how we'll finish it i just wanted to just just thank you for just being such a great influence to my daughter and uh and showing her the ropes and and helping her along and um you know a, as we kind of build this fishing life you know for her and uh, and i know she appreciates it and she enjoys it she didn't hesitate i said hey you want to go fishing with me next monday she goes yeah like oh it's with bouncers she goes oh okay <laughs> you know, so it, it it that's it's great to see. Yeah. Well, that means uh, a lot to me. It, it's it's great it. to experience it and live it and all you that. Bet. So, so and and it's been absolutely wonderful. So um this this kind of wraps up not only our podcast but your trip here to South Florida this time around. You came down and you you went fishing with a bunch of friends and you made your rounds. You hung out with Chip Sheehan and Angie and, and you did some fishing with them and you fished with Marco Linaldi and Sebastian and you're going to be heading back there like, on your way back uh, home to Georgia where you've retired to. But, but we miss you greatly down here. Well,
3: I can't wait to get down again.
2: Yeah, we I've can't wait to been have been talking you been
3: to your staff about Getting together in January, so yep. I'll be down here at the end of the January. we got, uh got some old customers I'm fishing with, A.B. Raymond, and I'm doing a I'm doing a uh, seminar in Fort Lauderdale with Skip Smith. Oh, are you? Really? That cool. That should be crazy. Excellent. And then I was talking to Mark Ellert from Guy Harvey Resorts, mm-hmm. trying to put together a seminar with him. So uh,
2: Excellent. Excellent.
3: Oh, uh, there's nothing better than sharing. Well, well see that's the, the thing. Sharing is, sharing is caring.
2: The sharing is caring and true. and that's 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 what these books are all about. So listen, I I want to just please everybody if if you get a chance if, if you liked what you heard here today and you want to hear more about these stories in great detail, we've only shared a handful of them that were oh, in this yeah, book no today. Doubt. There's there's so much more. So many more fun stories There's so many more Ways to learn about Bouncer Smith and all the great things he does in the community, all the great things you've done in the past about the community, and all the things that you still continue to do, and um, you know, it's just absolutely wonderful to well, know you and call you friend. I can't say that enough.
3: Shameless plug: if anybody's trying to find those books, they're mm-hmm. sold on Amazon. Yep. And uh, again, they're
2: so. This one's called Wanted Reward. No, no, it's called Bouncing With... Around. It's bouncing around, okay. But it says it's like a wanted poster. Well, right.
3: we were talking about a lot uh, our, our rendition of my face. And uh, R.J. Boyle said, "Well, if we make it into a wanted poster? Mm-hmm. <laughs> there it is. Perfect.
2: Sounds good. So go on Amazon, pick it up, buy the book, support our good friend Bouncer. and um...
3: It's a very good book, I might add, because we have the special paper. Mm-hmm. After you get done reading it, you can use it in the bathroom. <laughs> oh, you can read it in the bathroom. They're short stories.
2: All right, Pounce. It's always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. I love you. Love you, too. Thank you very much for coming in.
3: Thank you for having We're me. We're going to
2: end this how we always do. Your ego It's not your amigo. Always do your best. And at the end of the day, just let God do the rest. And do not ever forget. And no matter where we are, no matter what we're doing, Carlene is always the connected by water. water.